Well, happy Father's Day, Connect Church. We got a bunch of fun stuff planned. Make sure that you take advantage, right? You, you take a photo out there at the photo booth. Make sure you go get some food from the food trucks. What's up? You can fill up at Meat Street. You can have a dessert from Lick's Ice Cream. We've got Dad's Root Beer after the service. What else we have going on? Like all sorts of bouncers, everything. We are celebrating dads today because dads deserve to be celebrated. Now, when we were planning out this sermon series, at one point, my wife walked up to me and she she was like, hey, did you realize you scheduled this uh, sermon series on the book of Job and Father's Day falls like almost right in the middle of it. And I was like, oh, dang, no, I didn't realize that. It's like, oh, maybe the best thing would be to pause this series, Dust and Ashes, and like go to another passage in the Bible that deals with fatherhood or something like that. There's some obvious ones. And I was like, yeah, maybe that's what I should do. But you know what I realized as I was studying more and more in the book of Job? Job is an excellent example of a father. He really is. Now, there are lots of dads that are mentioned in the Bible, okay? A lot of daddies in the scripture. Almost none of them are good. I'm just going to tell you straight up, they're all pretty bad. Consider Abraham back in the book of Genesis. We call this guy Father Abraham. Father Abraham because he's the father of the Jewish nation, all right? Father Abraham. This dude thought it would be a good idea to move his second family into the house with his first family. He did. And spoiler alert, it was not a good idea. Oh man, think about King David in the book of 1 Samuel, right? We've got David, he's got a ton of kids. And all of his kids, they grow up with such animosity in their heart towards one another that their sibling rivalry actually becomes a literal civil war. It not only splits their family into, it splits the entire stinking country of Israel in half because they couldn't get along with one another. Not a lot of examples of good dads in the Bible. I won't even mention Lot and his daughters in Genesis 19 when they were confronted by a gang of men out in the city one night. Um, If you know, you know. And if you don't know, don't even go read it. Lot is in contention for the worst dad ever. Not a lot of examples of great dads in the Bible. Even the dads... Even the dads that you're sure must be good. Like consider Joseph, Jesus' dad. You know Joseph had to be a good dad. Otherwise, God wouldn't have chosen him and Mary in order to bring the Messiah into the world. Even a great dad like Joseph gets almost no coverage in the scripture. The father of Jesus himself is mentioned in like 11 verses. His story is so brief. It's so short. But the scriptures present Job as one of the few examples of a great dad in its pages. And the example that he sets for his family is one that we can learn an awful lot from even in 2023. Now, the problem, of course, is that all the verses that talk about Job being such a great dad... They all happen in chapter one, verses one through five. So five verses, the focus is on what a great dude, excuse me, what a great dude Joseph is, uh, Job is rather, um, how well he cares for his family, all of that sort of stuff. But then verse six happens and all of these tragedies befall him and we forget everything the Bible said about him in the first few verses and we tend to get locked in only on all of the hardships and difficulties that he needed to go through. So what I wanna do this morning is I really wanna focus on verses one through five. And I want to share with you four things that Joseph modeled for his family, four qualities, characteristics that he put on display for his wife, for his kids, for the people around him. And and I want to say from the top, okay, before I even share these four with you, 
This is not like the only four things your family is going to need, okay? I'm not trying to give you a perfect parenting plan or anything like that. This is just four things that I believe if you were to institute them, your family would grow, would strengthen in ways that really, really matter. Now, I'm not a dad. So I'm the last person on the planet that should be talking to you about how to be a dad. I get that, all right? However, I thought to myself, I'm only gonna share scriptural principles today. I'm not gonna tell you what I think makes a good dad because who cares what I think? I don't even know. I was telling the first service, that I think part of the reason God hasn't given me kids is because I'm not sure I could keep them alive. Like I, <laughs> my dog barely survives. I just don't know how you guys manage these kids. Anyway, I don't have kids. I'm probably not the right guy to talk to you about having kids. However, I thought, well, if I'm going to talk about it, I need to talk from the scripture and I want to make sure that what I say is like halfway intelligent. So I was doing some Googling and I read an article from USA Today and they were talking about parenting styles in 2023. Now, some of you guys are like, wait, there's a style of parenting? Like, I'm with you, Dan. I just try to keep them alive. If they're alive, by the time we get to bedtime, I feel like I'm doing all right. I get it. I get it. But apparently there are styles. So this article in USA Today, it described lawnmower parenting, tiger parenting, elephant parenting, helicopter parenting, dolphin parenting, attachment parenting, digital parenting, free range parenting. Whew, you guys. That's a lot of scorecards to measure yourself against, okay? And I understand some of you are like, I really am just trying to make it through the day. Whether you're very intentional and you've got rigid structure or you're more laid back and you're like, hey, whatever, they'll turn out okay. Regardless of where you fall on that spectrum, the problem with any of these kind of um, parenting styles that are mentioned there uh, is that none of them allow the scripture to speak into them, right? And, and I think as, as Christian parents in particular, we want to do everything we can to be guided by the principles of the scripture. And so Job's example from the scripture becomes one that is really, really helpful. Now, since it's Father's Day, one more caveat, okay? Since it's Father's Day, I'm going to be talking directly to dads this morning. But the things that I'm going to say are not applicable only to dads. So if you're a mom and you're here and maybe your partner is absent or they're unengaged or something like that, um, I want you to know that everything I say today, it actually will apply to you too. So just sub the word mom for father in, in these principles that we're going to talk about from Job and, and they will work, okay? These are things that you can take to heart, put into practice. And if you're like me, no kids whatsoever, either yet or you're probably never going to have them, um, you can actually take these to heart and apply them as well, they will strengthen the relationships around you. So here we go. Four things from Job 1, 1 to 5 that he modeled for his family that I think we ought to be modeling for our families as well. Let me give them to you on the front end. And the reason I'm going to share them with you before we actually read the passage is that when we read those five verses, I want you to be like, oh yeah, I see that in there. I see that one. I see that one. Okay. So Job modeled for his family, personal integrity, healthy priorities, selfless love, and sincere faith. Those are the four things. You find all four of those in the first five verses of the scripture. Personal integrity, healthy priorities, selfless love, and sincere faith. Hey, wouldn't it be amazing if we had a ton of families in which dad modeled, displayed personal integrity, healthy priorities, selfless love and sincere faith. Thank God there's so many dads that do, but boy, our world could use a lot more of them. All right, let's look at what the text says. Job chapter number one, 
verses one to five. The Bible tells us there once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. Now pay attention from this point forward. We're going to learn an awful lot about Job and his family. The Bible says he was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was in fact, the richest person in that entire area. Verse four, we read Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes, and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, like Job's kids knew how to party, okay? They would throw a, they would throw a rager that would last for a couple of days. Sometimes after several days, when the party ended, Job would purify his children He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. For Job said to himself, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. We're told here that this was Job's regular practice. Personal integrity, healthy priorities, selfless love, and sincere faith. We see all four of those present in this short section of scripture. So let's talk about them. Let's start here with personal integrity, personal integrity. Notice The first thing that we're told about Job, the very first thing the Bible says about him is that he is a man of integrity and a man of faith. Before we ever learn about his family, before we ever hear about his success in the business world, we learn about Job's character. This dude was worthy of honor and respect. Hey, fellas, can I just remind you that you can't be a good dad unless you're first a good man. All right. Now, I'm not trying to kick anybody in the, you know, sensitive areas here today. I'm just saying like this is logical. You understand this, even if it's a hard truth to confront sometimes. You can't be a good dad unless you are first a good man. It's so easy to fall into the trap in our world today of measuring ourselves by all of these external factors, qualities, and characteristics. You know what I mean? Like our world tends to measure men by like three things, muscles, money, and baby mamas. All right. It's like, if we've got those, like, you know, if I got a lot of each of those, then I am a successful man. (laughs) I can be proud of myself. I have accomplished and achieved. I am happy with what I'm putting out there into the world. It is so easy to judge ourselves based on these external standards. But do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says people look at the outward appearance, but God, oh, God looks at the heart, right? God is not concerned with how epic your beard is. He's not concerned with which hockey team your kids play for. He is not worried about what your job title is or isn't. God is concerned with who you are on the inside, your personal integrity. Like as a human being, are you first and foremost, like actually a good person that's devoted to him? integrity. Hear me, fellas. The most important thing about you, the foundation upon which everything else is built. Listen, having an epic beard is awesome. I wish I had David Roman's beard. I'm not even going to lie to you about that. I'm, I'm jealous. I just am. Mine's like weirdly red colored. Oh, this, I didn't even tell the first uh, service this. So you get something special today. Okay. When I was in youth ministry, uh, I had this same sweet beard that I've got going on now. And uh, the kids used to make fun of me all the time. And I'm like, what? why are you guys always teasing me about my beard? And they're like, it looks like you took 
Cheeto dust and just rubbed it. <laughs> so, yes, I have red hair. Leave me alone, okay? Jeez. Okay. God doesn't care about those things, okay? The foundation upon which everything in your life is built is the integrity of your character and the strength of your faith. Guys, if you don't get this part right, it doesn't matter how many babies you put into the world. And it doesn't matter what your job title ends up being. And it doesn't matter how many zeros are in your bank account. If you miss out on the personal integrity piece, the rest of it isn't going to matter. Integrity is what God is concerned with. In fact, this, this word used to describe Job is integrity. We read it there in verse number one. He's a man of complete integrity. Now, if you go to Google and you type in the word integrity to get a definition, the definition is the quality of being whole or undivided. Whole or undivided. Frankly, I think that definition sucks. Let me give you a better way to think about integrity in your life. I think the best way to think about integrity is you are the same person in private that you present yourself to be in public. That's what integrity is. Now, yeah, there's a sense, hold and undivided. There's no separation between who I am when eyes are on me and who I am when I'm all by myself. I, I treat my family the way that I treat my coworkers with the same level of respect and honor and kindness and graciousness, right? Integrity is being the same person in private that you are in public. See, there was a rightness about Job as a man. Individually, there was just something good about him and his integrity that caused his family not just to respect him or to obey him, but to love him. There are a lot of dads and you would settle just for respect. You'd be like, man, if I could get my kids to obey me, I'd feel like I'm winning. But God has a better plan. He wants your family to actually love you, to grow up loving you. And the way that that's going to happen is if you show them personal integrity. Job's personal integrity is a huge theme throughout this entire book. So I've kind of, I told you how the, the book works. The first two chapters are like in the introduction of Job and then all these terrible losses that he suffers. Then he has um, three or four friends that come over to his house. And for like the whole big middle chunk of this book of the Bible, they sit around talking and grieving and like, why is this happening? And what must I have done wrong? And like, is it ever going to get better? And uh, you know, all of these questions that they're wrestling to before in the end, God shows up and kind of resolves the story. And in this middle section where there are all these speeches and discussions and conversations that are happening, we get to chapter 31 and the entirety of chapter 31 is Job defending his personal honor and integrity because his friend are like, dude, you must have been up to some bad stuff in secret in order for all of this tragedy to befall you. And Job is like, no, 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 no. God isn't punishing me for being a bad guy because I've been a good guy. And he starts to list out all the ways in which his integrity has sustained him over the years. And so very famously in chapter 31, he says, listen, I made a covenant with my eyes that I would not look lustfully at a woman that I'm not married to. He said, I made, I made a covenant with my wife. Now it turns out she's a difficult woman to love. If you've ever read chapter one and chapter two, okay. She was a, she was a difficult woman, but he said, I made a promise to her and I'm going to love her. And so I just decided I'm not going to look lustfully at another woman. That is a mark of my personal integrity. He says, Hey, you guys know me as a businessman. He's talking to his friends. He says, you know me as a businessman. So give me one example. Just show me one example in which I've ever mistreated my employees. He says, tell me one time I ever cheated my customers and they know him and they can't. He says, I have worked so hard my entire life to make sure that I don't slip into the worship of false 
idols. He says, I've kept God number one. He spends this entire chapter, a big long speech, talking about his integrity. And at the end, he invites his friends to say, now tell me if anything I've said is untrue. And they can't because they know Job and they know that he's actually a good dude. He has a lot of personal integrity in his life, privately and publicly. John Maxwell, I don't know if you're familiar with John Maxwell. He's a Christian leadership coach, uh, author, guru, I don't know whatever word you want to use there. He says this line, and fellas, it's not on the screen, so you might actually want to listen for just a moment, maybe even pull out your phone and write this down, because this is gold. John Maxwell says, my goal in life is that the people who know me the best love me the most. The people who know me the best love me the most. Now that's not the way things typically work. The more distance you have from somebody, the more it's easy to just be like, man, he is a good dude. Like, look at him. Because every time you see him, he seems to be, you know, he has a good attitude and he's doing the right thing and stuff. But then you go talk to his family and they're like, man, this guy, (laughs) he's so angry all the time. And like, we're out in public and he's all smiles and then we get home and there's nothing we can do to make him happy. There is integrity. There is wholeness. There is no division between who Job is in public and who he is in private. And I think there are a lot of us, I'm including me, men, who need to recover that kind of personal integrity. That we are willing to be in private, the people that we present ourselves to be in public. So gentlemen, let me ask you a whole lot of questions here. Are you the same person in private that you are in public? Is there a unity an honesty, a wholeness in the different areas of your life? Do the people who know you the best actually love you the most? Would God describe you as a blameless man? Now, blameless doesn't mean perfect. That's not what that word means. It means somebody who is uh, committed to God no matter what's going on in their life. Would God say you're a person of integrity? That who you are in private lines up with who you claim to be in public. One of the reasons that Job was so beloved by his family is because he was the kind of man that they would want to love. Like I I have a lot of counseling sessions with guys and, you know, they're like, I don't know. I just don't get any respect from my family. And, you know, it just feels like there's always friction and tension and division. And I don't feel like they love me. And, you know, and it's like, okay, great. So let's talk about how, how are you interacting with your family? How are you when nobody else is around to see? And a lot of times there is a disconnect there. And so we've got to make sure that we are people of personal integrity. We fear and honor God. We stay away from evil. We actually treat our families the way that they deserve to be treated. All right. Job modeled for his family. He modeled for them uh, personal integrity. Also, secondly, he modeled for them healthy priorities, healthy priorities. So if you read verses one to three, we kind of see a progression of things. Now, it's important here in this passage, it's not just giving us biographical facts about Job. So like, he was born in this land and he had this many kids and this many camels. And it's more than uh, biographical facts. This is more than just like information. It's actually telling us what's most important about Job. Maybe even what Job valued most in his life. And if you follow the progression, verse one starts with his personal integrity. It moves then to a loving family. And then third, his worldly accomplishments. That seems to be the order of value and priority in Job's life. And I think that would be a healthy 
order and priority for us to follow as well, because these are the exact opposite priorities that are presented to most men in our world today. Like, if you don't believe me, go to TikTok, okay? I know it's hard to take TikTok seriously. I get it, okay? I get it. But it has real influence. And if you go to TikTok, you know what you're going to find? If you go to the man side of TikTok, you know, everybody's TikTok is different. Amber always likes looking at my social media because it's so different from hers. If you see the man side of TikTok, okay? You know what you find? You find a bunch of dudes that are flashing cash, flexing their muscles, and focusing on what they've accomplished in the world. They are presenting themselves and saying, this is my priority. This is what's important. This is what makes me a real man. This is why you should respect me. Ladies, this is why you should date me, because look at all of this, right? Their priorities are the exact opposite and upside down from the priorities that God gives to men in the scripture. That the things that we often spend our time pursuing and chasing They're not the things that are going to produce good, healthy, loving, stable families and relationships in the future. Every so often outside of church, you'll hear like men talking about how much they value their family and how it's so important. Almost never do you hear men outside of the church and not often enough inside the church either. Almost never do you hear men talking about personal integrity, much less Christ likeness. All right. But I want you to consider what Jesus says in Matthew 16, 26, very famous verse. He says this, what would it gain a man to gain the entire world, but to lose his own soul? What would it gain a man to get everything he ever wanted, but at the end of the day, he loses his soul in the bargain? We could extend this maybe a little bit further. I don't think this is normally a good idea. We shouldn't add to Jesus' words or anything, but I don't think it's like too much of a stretch to say like, what would it gain you men to get everything you think is important in life, but to lose your family in the process? What benefit would it be to get the job title, to drive that Lambo, to live in this quadrant or neighborhood in the city if it costs you your wife, your children, maybe your personal health, what would it profit you to gain the whole world but to lose your soul in the process? So guys, let me ask you, what are your priorities? What do you value? What do you spend your your effort and energy chasing in life? Maybe a better question or a better approach to answering that question would be not to ask you, because we're not always really honest with ourselves. What if we asked your wife or your kids, what do they value? Because as dads, we're like, you're just gonna be like, yes, my, my family is number one. But would your kids answer that the same way? Or would they say, I think he, it works probably number one. That's where he spends all his time. His hobbies seem to be number one because he's always doing his hobbies. I just wonder, here's the truth, honestly, if I wanted to know, and, and hear me, please hear me, work's not bad, hobbies are not bad. They're bad when they take the, the place and position of family and God in your, in your life. Okay. I don't want any emails later. Um, <laughs> if I really, if we really wanted to know what your priorities are, I only need to see two apps on your phone. Show me two apps on your phone and I will know exactly what you value. I will know exactly what your prior, priorities are. So the first is your calendar. Show me your calendar and I will know how you spend the only non-renewable resource you have in life. 
You can make more money. You can find new friendships. You can build new houses. You can get another job. The only non-renewable resource you have in your entire life is time. So if we were to look at how you spent your time, that would reveal an awful lot about what you thought was important. Second app I could look at is your bank account. Show me your banking account. Pull up, pull up the RBC app and let's see how you use your money. And that will reveal an awful lot about what you think is important in life. So fellas, I want you to pull out your phone and show me your banking. No, I'm just kidding. We're not that kind of church. I'm not that kind of pastor. I don't want that kind of responsibility. I got my own stuff to deal with. No, instead, I think that God calls each of us as men to just be honest and examine what are our priorities. Not what do we say our priorities are, but what are we investing our time and our energy and even our money into that will reveal to us whether our priorities are in line with what God designed or they're reflecting the world around us. Now, before I move on, I actually want to, I want to address single people for just a moment. Okay. So if you're a guy, um, perk up, lean in, listen in. If you're a single lady, I want you to get your amen ready. I need, you, I need you to let the men know that what I'm about to say is real right. That it's fully accurate. Okay? All right. We have a lot of single ladies in our church. They're all sitting right over here apparently today. This is the section. Um, a lot of single ladies. And here's the deal. I have never heard the single ladies in our church say, where are all the single guys at? Never. You know why? Because there are plenty of single guys sitting in the room right now. I've never heard the ladies in our church say, where are all the tall guys at? <laughs> Thankfully, my wife was like, five, six is good. I can handle that, okay? <laughs> I, I've, I've honestly never heard a woman in our church say that. I've never heard a woman in our church, a single lady say, where are all the nice guys at? I've never heard them say, where are all the alphas at? <laughs> you know what I've heard these single ladies say more times than I can possibly count? Where are all the godly men at? I'm, I'm just telling you, like one of the beautiful things about being a Christian is that God teaches us that the outside is not half as important as the inside. So you don't need to be the handsomest guy on the planet. I'm living proof. Single guys. It's real simple. Have decent personal hygiene. Demonstrate to the, to the women around you that you want a wife and not a mother. And third, that you genuinely love Jesus. I promise you, if you got your priorities right, my man, you would not be single much longer. Because the stuff that you're, you're believing about like what women want, I'm just telling you, that doesn't seem to be what women are after. They want a guy with personal integrity. They want a guy with healthy priorities. I think they also, like Job, they're looking for a man who teaches and models selfless love. 
Now, we're, we're gonna have to infer this just a little bit, okay? Oh man, I gotta hurry. All right, we're gonna have to infer this. So everything else that we're talking about this morning, Job, he like explicitly did. It was an action he took, so it's very easy to see. This one we have to infer a little bit, but it's not hard to connect the dots, okay? So um, we read in verse number four that as grown adults, Job's children loved and honored one another by hosting feasts in which everyone was included. Like before we even move on, wouldn't that be a great blessing? That when your kids are grown and moved out of the house, and yes and amen, they need to grow up, they need to move out of the house. But once they do, that they actually love mom and dad and brother and sister and still want to spend time with you. You don't have to force them. You don't have to fight them to call on Father's Day or to come over for a Friday night dinner. That would be a real blessing. And Job's family had this going for them. By the time all 10 of these kids had grown up and moved out of the house, they still wanted to spend time with one another. Brothers inviting their sisters over. Did you notice specifically the Bible calls this out and says the brothers included their sisters in the feast? Why does it explicitly say that? Well, because back in this day, that wasn't really common. Women were more property than they were people. Like 4,000 years ago in Job's day, you didn't choose a wife, you bought a bride. Most scholars say at this point that Job's sisters, uh, Job's daughters rather, were probably not married. And so that's why uh, it says that their brothers included them, not like included them and their husbands and their families and things like that. That also means that Job's sisters would not have been able to repay, or Job's daughters would not have been able to repay their brother's generosity. And yet, the brothers were like, no, come on in. We love the family. Selfless love, sacrificial love, a willingness to embrace absolutely anybody. Where did they learn that? Where did they learn it? They, they didn't learn it from TikTok, I'll tell you that. They didn't learn it from the school system because there was no school system. The only place that Job's kids would have learned this level of selfless love was from Job and his wife. That's it. Here's the truth. Children will follow the pattern that their parents set for them. When I do premarital counseling, we'll sit down like with a couple, they're about to get married. And so we'll do four, five, six sessions. We'll talk through a lot of things. The thing that we spend the most time talking about is like, what was your parents' marriage like? What was your family like growing up? How'd you guys spend money? What did they fight over? How did they fight over? Because guess what? Children will follow the patterns their parents set for them. So we've got to recognize that the pattern we're setting for our kids today matters. That they're going to live this out. They're going to copy the template that I've given to them. So what template am I giving them? Hopefully one in which there is selfless love and acceptance, not selfish demands placed on the rest of the family. So guys, ask yourself, what are the kids learning from me in the home? Like if you have a house in which kids are constantly throwing temper tantrums, is it possible that the reason the kids are throwing temper tantrums is because they see mom and dad constantly throwing temper tantrums? Not always. Maybe that's not the case for you. But if, if you want to get a handle on this, you have to start there. Am I modeling something for them that is unhealthy and will be unhelpful for them in the future? Are my kids, are they kind and generous to others? Are they selfless? Do they speak well of one another? Are, are they, are, if they were to copy the way that dad talks to mom in the household, how would that sound? 
If they were to copy the way mom talks about dad when he's not around, how would that sound, right? We, we set an example, how we treat other people that we disagree with, how we respond to those who mistreat us. There are so many forces in the world that are trying to divide us, trying to fracture particularly families that men, we, we have got to step. Listen, we talk about ourselves as being the protectors and the providers, right? That's the language we use. And what we typically mean by that is by providing for my family, I earn enough money so they can have dinner. And when I protect my family, I'm the one that gets up when things go bump in the night. Can I tell you, from God's perspective, being a protector and a provider is way more than that. No, 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 no. I'm going to provide a family in which people are loved. I'm going to protect my kids and my marriage from the forces that want to dissolve it. I am going to step up, take leadership and ownership, not according to the world's paradigm and standards, but according to the one that was left to me by my creator. Children will follow the pattern that's left by their parents. Thankfully, Job left this selfless love and sacrifice pattern. I hope you will as well. Okay, last one. I got to be done. Ah, Finally. Job modeled for his kids sincere faith, sincere faith. If you go to verse number five, there's this great detail about how Job the father would pray for his kids and intercede on their behalf. He would offer sacrifices. Thank God we don't have to offer animal sacrifices anymore. You know, it's in the Old Testament. If you did something wrong, you had to go kill a goat. Like it's insane. Thankfully, the New Testament tells us Jesus is the one and once and for all perfect sacrifice. So we don't have to deal with that anymore. But Job was willing to lead his children spiritually. He was ready to show them a sincere faith and model for them what that looks like. Combine that detail in in verse number five with what we read in verse number one, that he feared God and he stayed away from evil. We have a picture of a guy who has a real faith of his own that he is not afraid for his family to see. There are a lot of men, even in our church, that don't have a faith of their own. They're coasting on the faith of their wife. Or if they do have their own personal faith, for some reason, they're scared to let their kids see it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, no, I believe in God. Jesus is my savior. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. But like, do your kids see that? No, my wife's kind of the, you know, and listen, leadership in the home is the domain of both mom and dad, both. So like, it's not a bad thing for mom to take spiritual leadership in the house, but it's a bad thing if dad won't take spiritual leadership in the house. Guys, God calls us to model for our family a sincere faith. Show them what it looks like to live for God to the best of your ability, not perfectly, but according to his grace in our lives. So dad, how often are you praying for your kids? How often, when was the last time you opened a Bible? When was the last time you opened a Bible with your kids? How often do they hear you talk about spiritual things? Versus maybe how often do they hear you say, let's not go to church today. We can stay online. (laughs) That time I was trying to kick in the sensitive bits. I'm sure your kids would say that you love them. I'm sure. I, I have no doubt about that. But would they say that you love God? Yeah, my dad loves Jesus. Would they though? Based on what? I'm just asking. If yes, God bless you, keep it up. 
And if no, then the challenge here, like, I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm not trying to kick you while you're down, any of that sort of stuff. I'm saying God has placed a calling on your life. And I know that you love your family. And I know you want your kids to grow up strong and healthy and loving the church and loving God. And so if that's going to happen, you have to model it for them. It's the only way. Hear me. Somebody is going to disciple your kids. Somebody's going to do it. It's going to be TikTok. (laughs) Or it's going to be their friends. Somebody's going to disciple your kids. So I think the best dad steps up and says, not you, sucker. It's going to be me. I am the one who will show them what it means to live well in the world. All right. Here's the, here's the, the, the truth. Okay. Your kids will have a hard time connecting with God as father if they never experience a godly father. It, it, it's just, that's the fact. So much of what we believe about our heavenly father is communicated to us through our experience with our earthly father. And so dad, it is not too late. You can change. My kids are grown. So what? So what? You can still change the script. You can show them. You can model these things for them. If they're young, even better. But you have to engage. You have to step up. You have to stop letting your wife lead. You have to show them the example that you hope that they're going to live out one day. Now, you're not going to be able to do that without God in your life. I'm just going to tell you, you cannot be a great father without knowing the perfect father. That without God, you're going to try, you're going to do your best, but you're always going to fall short because we were not designed to do this on our own. You won't be a great mother without the love of the father in your heart. And so I'm going to invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes right where you're at, because I believe there's somebody here in the room today and you're saying, I need my heavenly father to help me be a great dad, to forgive me of my sins, to fill me with the Holy Spirit and to help me to love and raise my children the way that they should be raised. So if that's you, whether you're a man or a woman, I'm going to invite you to repeat this simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to fill me with your Holy Spirit, and help me to love and serve my family the way that I should. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, then in a minute, Steph's gonna be here and she's gonna tell you how we wanna help you live that out, walk that out in the days to come. There is so much more that I wanted to say in this sermon, but I won't. Like I could talk about the fact that Job was a man who had good, healthy male friendships. Oh, maybe we need a sermon on this. Not today, but maybe we Maybe part of the reason that Job was such a good dad is because he was actually surrounded by other good and godly men. There are, there are dads in the room right now. And the only thing that's separating you from being a great father are godly relationships. The only thing. Like, like God, fellas, if you signed up for a connect group, Go to your connect group, please. Don't just sign up and be like, well, I, I, I tried. I made an effort. No, you didn't. You put your name on a sheet. Go to the park. Go hang out with some guys. Develop some relationships with some other men. Get better at friendships. I don't have time to preach that, unfortunately. But I do want to show you just one last thing. 
Job chapter number five, one line. If you were to really diagram out chapter number five, where Job is like making sacrifices, pure in his children, all those things, what you would learn is that being a great dad will require a huge amount of consistent, unseen sacrifice. Consistent, this was Job's regular practice, unseen. He got up early in the morning before his kids were even out of bed and he offered sacrifice on their behalf. Being a great dad requires consistent, unseen sacrifice. So may that be your goal, guys. Consistent, unseen, godly sacrifice on behalf of your family. If you would, I believe God would bless it. <laughs>